Welcome back to Hail to the Pod. My name is Sam Chang, and I'm with my co-host, Seb Ruzard. And today, we have a special guest. His name is Sebastian O. Welcome, Sebastian. Hello, guys. Great to be here. I'm delighted to be on the podcast and excited to talk to you guys. Yeah. I'm glad and, to have- uh, oh, sorry. No, I was just saying, we're glad to have you here. Uh, thanks for taking the time to come on. No problem. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think we bring we brought you here, Seb, because, well, a lot of shit has been happening. And one of yeah. those said shits is the Ukraine crisis right now. It's hot all, all over the news. You see in the Post, in the Times, literally everywhere. And I think we could all, collect, we collectively agree uh, from our conversations outside the podcast and, you know, at school and before this, that I think it's safe to say that the crisis in Ukraine is none of America's business, or at least we shouldn't at all be military involved. I think we could all agree. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, Seb, I just want to be, I just want to have this revolve around you because you're a new guest and we just want to know what you think, know more about you. And um, I think you have a lot of expertise or, no, or a lot of knowledge around European and Russian uh, history and politics. So first, I want to ask you the question, um, well, first of all, it's a very broad question. Like, what do you think? What is your personal take on what is happening right now? Well, as you said, I certainly don't think the United States should get involved in any sort of military conflict in Ukraine because we've already seen these, these tor- sorts of military conflicts that the United States has really gotten itself into that just have ended in a disaster. We've seen this in Vietnam. We've seen this in Iraq and Afghanistan, we just got out of Afghanistan after 20 years of conflict in there. And we've just lost thousands of American lives. And what has it really, how has it benefited us? It hasn't benefited us at all. And I certainly think that um, when it comes to Ukraine, there has been a lot of misinformation about what's really going on there. And I think that really both sides of the aisle and the government have just created all of this propaganda about what's really going on. This whole discussion is really about seeing what really has been going on in Ukraine. It's, it's just a, as what I've seen from all these different news outlets is that uh, Russia, as they say, they claim, is trying to take over all of Ukraine. And it's just trying to be an expansionist nation like people say it was back, of course, in the Soviet times. And I think that this is quite wrong. Um, There are two regions that right now have these separatists in them, uh, which are formerly and internationally known as the Donetsk Oblast and the Lushansk Oblast, uh, which call themselves now the Donetsk People's Republic and the Lushansk People's Republic. And they say that they are now free from Ukraine, even though internationally they're not. Um, are ethnic Russians who are living in there. They have been 
more loyal to Russia than they have been to Ukraine, and they don't feel as though Ukraine has benefited them in any way. They say that Ukrainian, the Ukrainian language is being imposed on them. They want to have language rights, even though they don't have any. Uh, Ukrainian is still the official language there. And then if you take a look at the uh, Russian as a native language map in Ukraine, you'll see that the Donetsk uh, uh, Oblast or People's Republic, whichever side of the um, of the argument you're on, has over 75% uh, Russians living in there. And Lushansk is slightly less than 75, but there still is a lot. And you know, ever since the Ukrainian Revolution in 1914, in 2014, uh, there has been a lot of instability in the region. Uh, there's a civil war that's going on where the people in those oblasts are fighting the Ukrainian government. There's been uh, a line, you can look it up if you wish, about where the military conflict is. And all these people want to do is to just leave Ukraine and either create their own countries or get into Russia. And Another thing as well that a lot of people didn't realize is that the whole Crimean situation is also a bit misconstrued as well, because around 90% of the population of Crimea are ethnic Russians as well. And if you did not know, um, for those of you who uh, are not as familiar with Russian or Soviet history, um, Crimea, of course, had gone back and forth for, with a lot of nations before, but up until 1954, it was a part of Russian SFSR. And Nikita Khrushchev, who was the first secretary of the Soviet Union, gave uh, Ukraine SSR, which was another republic, of course, uh, Crimea as a gift. And that has raised a lot of questions on which country really owns Crimea. Right now, the UN, uh, NATO, most countries in the world see Crimea as part of Ukraine. But a lot of people in Ukraine are saying that, that it should belong to us. But a lot of people in Crimea are saying the Ukrainian government doesn't represent our views. And a lot of people were really excited in Crimea when the Russian tanks were just driving on through. They were thinking that these are people who are like us. We support them. And that's why there was not as much fighting amongst civilians against the Russians. It was mostly the the Ukrainian government and the Ukrainian armed forces that really got agitated when that happened. And I think that, as, as Sam said before, I think that because all these people in these regions that have this instability seem to be siding more with Russia, are we now starting to go against what popular opinion is in these regions? Are we just supporting a government that doesn't represent those people. I think that's the really important question that has to be raised. And if we're going to be sending all these thousands of troops over, if this does break out until war, um, are we going to be on the side of the people? Because who knows? Um, if we send some American soldiers over there, some of the civilians who might feel really upset with us, they might pick up a gun and start shooting us as Americans, and, and we do not want that to happen. We do not want more of our young men and women to come back dead fighting in a region for people who don't really want us there. So that's really what I'm thinking about this, so.
Uh, well, first, that's a lot of, to unpack there, but I want to first, with the knowledge you presented to us, what do you think? I think this is the main idea that we're trying to present here. Um, what is the solution? The like, what sort of policy plan should the United States provide to uh, calm the crisis right now? I think that as an outside power, the United States um, should be trying to be more diplomatic in its approach to ease the situation. Because personally, I'm not sure if the, the White House uh, really is thinking this whole conflict through. Because if we do provide military aid, we will be fighting against uh, people who have Russia's backing or even Russians in general. And Russia is a nuclear armed power. So I certainly do not think that fighting with Russia should even be really considered. I think that that's something that we should try to avoid at all costs. I think that our policy should be trying to mediate how this should occur. We should be speaking with people who are in these rebellious regions or regions that are trying to seek their own independence and try to come up with terms with them, with Russia, and with the government, Ukraine, uh, headed, of course, by Volodymyr Zelensky. And I think that should be our job. We should not be fighting or sending troops over there, really. I think that uh, our role should really be that of a mediator. Well, specifically, though, because I've seen this, I think we all seen this in the, um, when researching this, that there are, I think, the current, I believe, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but there has been proposals that to give Eastern Ukraine autonomy. So, which I think that is one of Russia's demands. Um, should, do you think that this is the way to go? I personally think that if these places really want their autonomy that badly, they've been fighting this, this civil war for the past almost eight years now, all that's really coming out as a result is you know, dead bodies, unfortunately, coming back from the battlefield. They have not, Ukraine has not taken back these regions. They're still fighting. They're still determined to be autonomous. I think that even though I'm not the biggest person for appeasement generally, I think we should just let those regions go off because they're not benefiting Ukraine at all. They're just creating this constant state of war. That's just, if the status quo keeps on going, we're going to be there for another 10 years. Uh, I think that what should happen is we should let those countries, well, those oblasts, let them have their independence. If they want to be their own countries, let them do that. If they want to be a part of Russia, let them do that. Uh, I think that that should be the best solution. And I think we should speak with Russia and the people who are the heads of the, these rebel groups that are in those two oblasts about that. But I think we should just let them go because it's not benefiting Ukraine either, having this constant civil war. A lot of people are dying. So I think that should be the solution we should be trying to get to. Yeah. In order to just... Uh... To just pick uh, just to piggyback on what Sebastian was saying, 
I do have to agree with him on that. Um, I think it is important at the very least to negotiate with Russia and to speak with these rebel groups primarily because um, I, I don't see what the resistance is about. I think that um, I, I think that this could all be solved uh, rather peacefully and diplomatically, and that a lot of the tension and the in the military buildup surrounding this situation is very unnecessary. Yeah. I've also been hearing as well from many news sources. This, this ranges from uh, more left-leaning places like CNN to right-leaning places like Fox News that uh, uh, Zelensky, of course, who's the president of Ukraine, is urging all of these leaders around the world from creating all this panic in Ukraine because before the United States really started saying that Russia was going to invade all of Ukraine, which I personally don't think it will, um, Ukraine was pretty calm about this. But right now, a lot of people are starting to panic. They're going into supermarkets, buying all of this food and all these supplies because they think they're going to have to just you know, hide in their basements uh, now because they think their country is going to get attacked. And you know, Zelensky is saying that just stop making this seem like it's like this is such a, a huge crisis that's going to definitely destroy the whole region um, war has not broken out between russia and ukraine it's, right now what's happening is it's only those two oblasts that are engaging in fighting and i think that putin knows very well that if he does invade Ukraine, that Ukraine is going to fight back. Ukraine has, of course, had a very um, rocky relationship with Russia over the years. Uh, Stalin, who was, of course, the general secretary of the Soviet Union, he starved six million Ukrainians uh, because they didn't want to adopt communism. So he knows that there are going to be Ukrainians fighting back if he does decide to take it over. And he doesn't want another Afghanistan situation like the Soviet Union had for I think 20 years almost. And I think that um, that's something that the West should remember is that I don't, that Putin, he's a, he's a very, very intelligent guy. He knows that, he's, that his country, I don't think is willing to fight in this other almost never ending war that's gonna take so many years to get through. I don't think that the Russian people are willing to do that either. Um, I think that the places that are predominantly Ukrainian really wouldn't mind letting some of those oblasts go. I know I've heard some Ukrainian citizens, they don't really seem to care about those two oblasts because they really just don't want fighting in that area of the country. They don't want more people to come back dead because of this conflict that seems to almost be never ending. And I think that also, some other European countries, such as France and Germany, they have been very much against sending troops over there. I know that Germany, uh, in particular, has been getting uh, gas from Russia, cheap gas, because, of course, Russian gas is very inexpensive. And I know they don't want to see uh, this war go on either, because they don't want to have to take a side in this case. But that's just what I'm thinking so far. What about you guys? Oh, I just wanted to chip in. Um, I mean, everything so far that you said, um, 
that I totally agree with, but I want to shift it. I want to at least add, um, I guess the kind of thinking that I have that I have right now over this entire crisis. I think, um, well, first, I think this is an example of how um, another example of United States foreign policy and it's, how should I say this? I think that the current status quo and the entire foreign policy strategy that, that the United States has adopted for since the post-World War II, uh, since World War II. This is just another example of how militaristic, how, um, I would say, how we kind of blow things out of proportion. Because, we, Seb, you mentioned um, how mm-hmm. Ukrainian president, we the Ukrainian president and Biden uh, view this situation differently. Yeah. Biden is overemphasizing this while the Ukrainian president disagrees with that, doesn't like that. It causes too much hysteria at home. But this whole notion of war with Russia, well, first, it, it not only shows that the media is blowing this out of proportion, but also it also deals with the question of why we should be, why should we be there in the first place? And I think we shouldn't be there or at least we shouldn't send all these uh, military equipment, military aid. We shouldn't put 8,000 troops on a high alert because I think that, um, I should put this in words. Well, first of all, Russia's demands that um, Russia's demands are really not that they're really not that far-fetched. They're not going to put America in a position or Europe in a position where it's like it's not going to make them weaker. They are reasonable demands. I think um, there are four demands, and one of them, uh, and all of them are, um, well, first, Russia wants, doesn't want Ukraine to be in NATO. That's number one. Yeah. Number two is Russia doesn't want NATO arms in Eastern Europe. Uh, specifically, they don't want missiles, uh, any type of military equipment that is so close to not only Russia's border, but also to Russia's capital. And third, Russia wants a ban, uh, again, on NATO missiles. But fourth, we di- uh, you dived it deep into this, is that Russia wants autonomy for Eastern Ukraine. When you go into these demands, again, they are not unreasonable. And the US, in my opinion, should consider these demands I think they they need to um, to agree to them because I think this is the only way to get out of the current situation. I know that U.S. diplomats and the U.S. in general 
said that these demands are no go. They're not even considering these. Honestly, that is foolish policy. Like, when you think about this, when you think about what is necessary, and that is the safety of all people, because war or any type of conflict, small or large, it's not good for anyone. We don't want to lose any more men and women, definitely not American men and women, since we recently, like only a couple months ago, we got out of Afghanistan. If we, if we go to war or have a conflict, we all know the economic, political, and military implications, the disaster it would cause. And I think that in the perspective of Americans, I think we're just tired of us just being involved in everyone's business, because honestly, this is, I would say, a mainly European affair or just a bit affair between Russia and Ukraine. And the fact that Russians, uh, like Eastern Ukraine has, a, if you look at the percentage of ethnic Russians, it's at least 75%. And you said that during the Crimea annexation, a lot, of Ru- a lot of Russians live in Crimea. Like majority of the Crimean population are Russians. And they basically celebrated when the Russian tanks came in. And I think this is a common sentiment about Eastern Ukraine, uh, Eastern, uh, East Ukraine. I think they are very much happy being part of Russia. And I don't think this is talked about in uh, media. I don't think like Biden and the Secretary of State and Anthony Blinken talk about of the U.S. supports sovereignty, the sovereignty of Ukraine. That, even though it's willing to fight Russia, like even though East, there are a huge chunk of Ukrainians who want to be part of Russia. But right now, you the U.S. is not acknowledging the sovereignty of those people. So I think in the interests of the people, and I mean the people who are living in eastern Ukraine, I think for the sake of them, because I think it's hypocritical if we if we don't listen to Russia's Russia's demands. I think in the interests of them that in order to, and in the interests of Americans and the interests of everyone, it's wise policy to create a new agreement, to acknowledge Russia, to acknowledge their views, and to acknowledge that they have a legitimate reason um, to have security guarantees, to have security concerns. Because right now, I think it's the Russia, the United States is the one, is the main aggressor because of NATO expansionism, the fact that it doesn't listen to Eastern Ukraine, 
And just for the sake of peace, again, uh, we need to have a completely different approach and to, again, listen to the Russians. But that's what I think. Yeah, I've, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. Even though I'm someone who is pro-America, um, I do think that America really is overstepping its boundaries in this case. And a lot of the media in the United States, and I've also heard that this is happening a bit in the UK as well, that they have been reporting on this as though everybody in Ukraine is united and they're all basically agreeing with the same principles of what area belongs to Ukraine and what area should be autonomous. They're making it seem like, oh, everyone in Ukraine is fine and dandy and Russia is just trying to take over parts. They're trying to oversimplify it so much for people to think, oh, Russian aggression. This is the same thing that happened in the Cold War. Russia wanted to expand, but it's not the same case as what happened then when Russia, of course, was taking over parts of uh, like Latvia and Estonia. It's, it's not the same thing. This is um, a population in Ukraine that sees themselves as Russian and not Ukrainian feel like they are basically citizens in the wrong country. So I think that a lot of US media is really taking a very poor stance on this issue and are taking advantage of the fact that, I'll say it, a lot of Americans are not very aware of international conflicts, international affairs, because unlike those European countries that have had border changes so often, it hasn't really occurred to us that you know, maybe the Russians and the people in those oblasts in Ukraine, Dushansk, um, and uh, I'm sorry, Donetsk and Lushansk might actually be right in this case. So uh, that's, that's what I think as well. I think that should be highlighted. Just to, just to add on that quickly, um, you, you mentioned how uh, the media in the US and the UK are making it seem as if all of the Ukrainian people are united in this, right? Yeah. Yeah, so no, just to, I just wanted to add on to this quickly. Like, even if you look at it, not from more of a, a national media perspective, but um, I've, I've seen it, it's been popping up on, a, on social media for me as well. I go to the comment section of certain articles that I read and uh, you, you can see from a lot of, um, you can see from a lot of, uh, a lot of the comments, especially from people that are living in Ukraine, that it isn't necessarily what the media, especially Western media has made it out to be. So I, I think that also uh, holds some value to, uh, to what you're talking about. So I just wanted to at least throw that in there. Yeah, because if the people who are living in the country that um, that the U.S. is saying is about to get invaded, if those people are not as concerned and, pan as, and panicking like we are, then we really should think there's something wrong with how this is being addressed in the media. Uh, that's just something I think should also be highlighted. What do you guys think?
Very, very much so. I don't, uh, back to a point Sam said earlier about the status quo and concerning our uh, foreign policy and our stance on things since the end of World War II. For over 70 years, the U.S. has been uh, very involved and in many cases very intrusive into the affairs of other nations, especially where um, I think you guys would agree in some areas where we probably shouldn't have stuck our noses, uh, if that's the best way I can put it. So I think this is one of those situations where we need to uh, pull back a little bit and reevaluate how we're going to handle this. So, I think that another thing that the U.S. is that a lot of other countries don't have is that because the United States really hasn't, we pulled out of Vietnam, but and, and people will say, "Oh, that was not a defeat," or some people say it is. I think that something that the United States wants to put forth in their narrative is that the United States will never back down for anyone. But I think that that is almost turned a little bit into arrogance, where we think that, well, the government thinks that, oh, because we believe that that should remain a part of Ukraine, that's what it has to, that's what has to happen. And uh, the Russian proposal that, who knows, may be the correct one, they'll just not even consider it just because we want to put forth that, that stance of we never back down for anything and that that area is in Ukraine. We want a lot of influence now in Ukraine, so we don't want anything going to Russia. We don't want to, as they think, appease to Russia, even though I think we are um, siding with the people who live in that region. We are, the people in that region want to be a part of Russia, so if anything, we are going against the people, the region, which I think is definitely not right for us to be doing. I also want to address, because I, th I think this is a very important uh, clarification. I think what I would assume a majority of people would think if we, because we support listening to Russia's demands, as, as I said, that if we do, that Russia will be stronger than ever. Uh, Putin would have much greater uh, say in international affairs because he got what he wanted. But and it's part all and that sort of like argument is kind of a reflection of the portrayal of Russia as this boogeyman, the strong nation that uh, that can that does its bullying, that does its um. I guess ha still has this um, totalitarian, I guess, instincts. But well, first, I don't doubt that geopolitically Russia has a lot of say, uh, has a lot of power. But in the grand scheme of things, people overblow the economic and political might of Russia. Like, granted, they do have one of the strongest militaries in the world. But behind that is this economic, um, it's this behind that, behind these millions of soldiers, behind this nuclear arsenal, is this, um, I guess, economic dwarf that 
is no way, that in no way can compete with the likes of China and the United States. Even yeah. if they annex that eastern part of Ukraine, that is inconsequential to what the United States has or the United States has possessed or like the not necessary territorial, territorial expansion, but the economic expansion. Like, let me put it this way. I would argue that the current international order, the United Nations, NATO, the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, the current trade network between the United States and almost everywhere else in the world, that is part, that is just like, what? 75% or I'm just ballparking a number, but that is basically the so-called, I guess, US empire. That is American influence. We have enormous influence in many different countries. We, we have the trade networks. Most of the trade routes or the trade networks is protected by the United States Navy. We have military bases all across the world. What about Russia? They only have military bases in a couple of nations in Africa. I think one of them is Central, the Central African Republic. They have influence, of course, in the post-Soviet regions. Ukraine, Belarus, uh, Kazakhstan. Um, and also, they have been involved in Syria and Iran. That is mainly regional. The only thing economically significant about Russia is its oil and its raw materials. But other than that, they are actually an economic dwarf. They're actually a pretty weak nation. And what Putin, his grand strategy, is basically turning into making Russia into a greater power, into a greater nation, into a more stronger nation, because he is a nationalist. And I think it's because he, he knows that Russia for 30 years has been this country that has been played around. He knows that the US is through its military interventions and of course his economic influence. I think in his eyes or in the eyes of people in Russia and also in China, that the US is actually the one who is the bully. And there are arguments that support that. Again, the Vietnam War, um, Afghanistan, Iraq. I think it's, a, it's wise to say that given the evidence, given the amount of airstrikes, the amount of government toppling, government um, interventions, that the United States has done more harm to the world than it has done good. And that's what he sees. But my main argument is, is that, again, I think American power is unchecked. We don't, most people don't recognize that the United States is not this country where we have this high, we were born with this high moral purpose. And I would argue 
and I would argue this confidently, that we are just every other nation who, who if we had the power, we would misuse it because we're, of course, human, but also through our history, the, we were, whenever we had power, we would use it for our own economic self-interest, for our own economic gain, like any other country. And, but in the U.S.'s case, we have used it to expand westward at the expense of Native Americans. We have expanded southward in the expense of Cubans and Mexicans. And we expanded off to the Pacific at the expense of Filipinos and other island uh, natives. And now in the modern, in modern times, we have expanded at the expense of Vietnamese people, at the expense of a lot of people. So I think my main, I guess, um, argument here is that I think that applies to where we are right now in Ukraine. That I think our inclination to use military force is absolutely not the way to go. Absolutely not. It will, it makes things worse. Whenever we use military might, we make a problem worse. And that's my fear. I think that's, I think in the interest of everyone, I think we have to reevaluate our thinking, not only for this moment, but for how we think of foreign policy in general. We cannot be military assessed, obsessed anymore. Um, we need to reevaluate like things differently. And I think that it's to, in this sense, in this crisis, it's to look at the facts and we have presented those facts and we don't, and I think we cannot incite conflicts, like even, uh, we can't incite conflict even though there's a way out. And this is a way out. This is mutually benef beneficial for everyone. I think we yeah. could, agree. yeah. If we yeah, talk, yeah. If we talk this out, um, I think yeah. we I, we already presented the facts. So I think if we talk this out in the table, that we could come out of this peacefully. And in order to do that, main idea is to grant strategic autonomy to Eastern Ukraine and to military militarily retract our presence from Eastern Europe. Yeah, well, I think throughout history, we have seen that the United States military help has had a lot of positive effects throughout the world. But because we're, we're not perfect, we have created instability in quite a few regions of the world. We have created a lot of instability in Libya, as we see that country is almost falling apart at this point about what's going on. They, they, it's become a disaster. Uh, the Vietnam War was a complete disaster. And yes, there have been instances where Western Europe was, was helped a lot after World War II by us. South Korea is now a country that 
is, has been protected from the North's aggression in the Korean War. It's a very successful country right now. But what a lot of people need to realize is that the United States has made, has done a lot of things in foreign policy that have really messed up regions. And I think that what we have seen now with the end of the war in Afghanistan is that we really need to be careful. And I can't stress this enough. We really need to be careful before we jump into another military conflict because we've seen with these awful wars like Vietnam and Afghanistan, what, what happens in the end? We don't gain anything, we just lose. A lot of lives, a lot of money. And of course the people who we're bringing war to are losing their homes, the, losing their citizens and their livelihoods. So I think that if the United States is smart, they are not going to participate in any sort of fighting because we're just gonna have another war like Afghanistan where we're just gonna be in there for years, nothing's gonna happen. And unlike with Afghanistan, Iraq and Vietnam, those were small, countries that were puny compared to us when it comes to military and uh, economics. Russia is militarily not too far behind us. And of course, we are the number one military in the world, as they say, but Russia still is very powerful. And we certainly don't want to get into another decade-long war like we have been as I said, Iraq, Afghanistan, Vietnam. I think that this is something now that can be avoided. And I hope that we don't just go on impulse into war. So that's what I think. What do you guys think? I'd have to agree with you. Uh, I don't have uh, any other comments on it at the moment, but Sam? Neither do I, but I want to make this a little bit personal. This is a more personal story because um, I think I mentioned this before, how I've written an article before of how Ukraine should be part of the West or part of NATO. And obviously right now, I think, um, of course, everything has changed. Like my views have changed because of the current situation. Um. I just want to say that I think a lot of people probably misinterpret this and say that we're we're like me or any one of us are pro-Russia and anti-America. I think, well, for me personally, there are a lot of things about American policy that I have major disagreements with fundamentally. But at the end of the day, Russia, I would have to, Russia, like, of course, it is a bully in the sense that is coercing a lot of protests. I know that recently there have been Demo uh, protests who are, who have, pro of course, protested against uh, Putin's, um, I guess, constitutional changes to his election, uh, to his um to how elections are run, to his term, also like cracking down on again protests, protesters, and cyber attack, uh, conducting cyber attacks, not only on the United States but on Europe. 
I'm all, we're only saying in this case, um, listen to Russia because it is all, all like at the end of the day, it's like for it's for the overall goal of easing tensions, of maintaining some sort of peace. Because we know that the alternative is something that is ambiguous, well, uh, in the sense that, of course, it will be military conflict, but what will happen in the next year or the next two years or the next three? How do we expect to come out of that conflict? Um, it's all, it's like a slippery slope. Once we, once the Russians or once the shot first shot is fired, we don't know what happens next in the sense that it might go on for the next, for a long time, or it will be so much worse. So I think unless, uh, any one of you guys has any more, uh, thoughts on this i think this is a good way to end this off yeah, i agree i think this is a good way to wrap this up mm -hmm. we really tackled a lot and i certainly agree those are some good closing statements yeah i think this would be the this would be the right time to end this off yeah well so, thank you so much seb for coming on i think i think you really carried this podcast with what you offered like thank you so much for uh coming on again and i really hope we do this we you could we can make another podcast soon but um yeah so thank you thank you guys so much for watching and take care thank you very much have a good one